Any last minute people out there, I'm a last minute guy. If you love to procrastinate, let me know. Just uh, let, let us know if you're here. Uh, this is a safe place. So uh, who wants to talk about procrastination today? Nah, we could do it later. Let's talk, okay, seriously. I mean, when it came, when I think of procrastination, I think of the final project in college, right before the exam, whatever, a 30-page paper. You think I've done it a week before? No. Three days before? No. It's the all-nighter filled with caffeine and adrenaline and just writing it out. And I loved the feeling when everything was done. Ah, I did it. And then maybe five, 10 minutes later, as the adrenaline kind of leaves my system, I'm thinking, I never want to do that again. I need to get a better plan. I need to stop procrastinating. Uh, the, the word comes to us from the Latin procrastinare. I'm probably butchering the, the pronunciation and it literally means to put it off until tomorrow. But that word comes from a different Greek word called acri. Akriasa. I'm probably butchering that uh, that pronunciation too, but I love that. It means doing something against our better judgment. We know we should do it. We know we need to do it. We know this would be good for ourselves, but we put it off. We're doing it against our better judgment. And it's one thing with doing the dishes and uh, final papers. That's uh, That's part of the tension of being a human being. I don't know very, there are a few of you out there that, that are ahead of the game and don't really struggle with procrastination. But procrastination can be deadly when it comes to our spiritual formation. And by spiritual formation, I mean our spiritual growth, what we're becoming, the kind of people that we're allowing ourselves to be shaped into. And when I think about procrastination, I, I think about this character, he's a person in the Old Testament that we don't really look at because he's overshadowed so much. King Saul is one of the shining examples of what not to be in, in the scriptures. Um, King Saul is, of course, if, you, uh, if you've grown up in the church, overshadowed by King David who followed him. But in our consciousness, Saul is kind of left out of the story. And, uh, and there are so many descriptions of his life that serves as warnings to us of, of how not to be and how not to go about, about life. And, uh, and I think that's interesting today. Uh, so many folks in the Bible are, are kind of priests or apostles. King Saul was a king. He wasn't first and foremost a religious leader. And um, I feel like his story easily translates. The principles of, of what he did and didn't do translate to every walk of life, no matter how you make your paycheck. Uh, so today, if you've got some sort of responsibility for other people, some sort of responsibility, there's something in King Saul's life that can, can serve as a warning for us because there's red flags all throughout his story. So, uh, and what I wanted to start out with first is in 1 Samuel chapter 9, I wanted to point out that the Bible doesn't call a lot of people handsome. It doesn't call a lot of men handsome. And in chapter 9, verse 2, it says, Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. 
to set this up a little bit, Israel had been crying out for a real flesh and blood king. Up to this point, God had set up and organized Israel to not need a king. It was a contrast to the other cultures and kingdoms around them. God was supposed to be their king, and, and the nation of Israel was supposed to be their people. They, they were going to live differently than their neighbors. But as humans do, we, we look around, grass is greener on the other side. They didn't like feeling like we're the odd ones out. We don't have a king. Who's going to fight our battles for us? We don't like trusting in this invisible, we need a real flesh and blood king. And they kept asking the leader of Israel, the prophet Samuel, over and over again. And he warned them, hey, if you guys have a real flesh and blood king, he's gonna act like the other kings. There's gonna be corruption, there's gonna be taxes, there's gonna be all these, these negative aspects. And they said, we don't care about all that. We want a king. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 24, Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And then the people shouted, long live the king. Basically, he looked like a king. He looked the part. He was the, uh, I would call him the, the Burt Reynolds of the Bible. Yeah, it dates me a little bit, but Burt Reynolds, that, that mustache, handsome dude. I mean, he had all the qualities on the surface of what a good king is supposed to be. And um, I think that was his downfall. His, his, uh, his looks and some of his, his externals propelled him to a place where his character couldn't sustain him. And as we look through, you know, it's, it's just a few chapters here in the text, but oh my goodness, David outshines him time and time again with his heart. And if you read David's story, there's also some red flags later on in his journey there too. But I think if you're familiar with the story and you look in the mirror, you would rather see King David in the reflection. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's a lot of King Saul in us that, that needs to be rooted out and needs to be dealt with. So Saul's story teaches us to watch what's going on under the surface. And Saul's story teaches us that little things become big things. So let's, let's take a look at the, the David and Goliath story. Here we go, at this point, Saul has been made king and as, as it happened often, Israel was going to war with the Philistines. And this time, the Philistines have an A plus gigantic strong champion. And this champion named Goliath would come out and challenge, shouting over a valley, as was common in the time. Hey, you send your best fighter out to fight me. We don't have to do all of this bloodshed. If I win, you, you guys become our slaves. But if your champion beats me, we'll become your slaves. It was a very efficient way to do battle back in ancient times. And I, I can't imagine, especially looking at the story from, from Saul's perspective. Imagine every, feeling the eyeballs on you. We've already seen that he looked the part, head and shoulders above everybody else. There's this gigantic person, huge warrior. The, the, the text goes on and on about how heavy his spear was, how heavy his shield was. Like this is, this is a formidable opponent and he's challenging not just the nation of Israel, the army of Israel and Israel's God. Imagine all the eyeballs 
on you. Like you're the one that's supposed to come up with the plan. You're the one. Everyone's like, uh, are you going to go out there? And then the text tells us, uh, chapter 17, verse 16, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 days of eyeballs on you. Talk about procrastination. <laughs> I mean, surely, just as a human being, he's going through like, okay, I need to step out and do this. Um, Samuel said God had anointed me the king, like God's gonna be on my side. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Um, maybe maybe there's another way. Maybe there's there's some other tactic we can use, or maybe we have a maybe we have a strategic withdrawal, a retreat. No, strategic withdrawal. No, for forty days, he kept putting it off. And then a couple verses later, in, in verse twenty five, we we hear some people talking. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So people are talking. There's water cooler talk happening. It's obvious the king's not going to go out and he's actually offered other people a reward if they will go out and defend Israel. And then, as, as, as we're familiar with in the story, this little shepherd boy is coming to deliver food to his older brothers, bring back some news from the front lines, back to dad, back at home. And he hears about this. And little David, he's not King David yet, but he steps up, has this conversation with Saul. I'll go, how dare this, this Philistine defy our God? Like, I'll do this. And Saul's like, you're a kid. What do you know? And David talks about how God had prepared him. And there's amazing sermons about that. And as he defended his flock from different wild animals and had all these skills. And, uh, and it stood out to me in preparing for this. Like Saul Saul's hears about this. Saul says, okay, God must be in this somewhere. And his first reaction as someone who is externally looks like a leader, he dresses David up. He, put, he gives the kid a new outfit. David realizes, I can't wear the king's armor. I'm, I'm a kid. It's, it's too heavy for me. I, I, won't, I don't know how to use these tools. I'm going to use what God has given me. And David goes out to fight the giant. And we, we see in verse 50, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And I think... The moment Goliath hit the ground, David became the real leader of Israel. From the moment Goliath hit the ground, Saul, all he had to cling to was, was the crown. But and, and the story goes on to say that people started having chants. You know, Saul slain his thousands, David is slain his ten thousand, and and, and we know that the story, like even, even the, the non-church world, the secular culture attaches David to the name Goliath. It's a, it's a, it's a leadership fable. It's, it's, there's books about it. What if it wasn't supposed to be like that? I don't think that's the way the story was supposed to go. The text tells us that Saul was there for 40 days. 
before David stepped up to do something. So one of the takeaways I have here is something Pastor Ryan tells me all the time, and I love it. Um, and it's, it's a challenge to me that there's never a vacuum in leadership. Someone or something is always going to step in to shape the circumstance, especially when it comes to procrastination. It's, you know, it's, it's true in, a, in an office. It's true in a family. Uh, when there's that moment of silence, uh, someone's going to step in and fill the void. And it might be out of anxiety. We see the Apostle Peter doing that when he was following Jesus around. <laughs> Whenever Jesus asked a question, usually Peter was the first one just to blurt out what was ever, <laughs> whatever was in his head. He had a foot-shaped mouth. There's never a vacuum in leadership. And I think when it comes to our spiritual growth and in the and the, the Goliaths that we're facing, maybe it's a habit that we have, maybe it's that phone call we know we need to make, uh, that, that awkward conversation we know we need to, to at least start. We pause for a ton of different reasons, but that situation doesn't stay the same. It's not stagnant. Something or someone is stepping in to guide that battle, to guide and shape that situation. So. In that, in that reaction, Saul actually lost his chance to lead. And he had already made a bunch of other bad decisions. But in that moment, he started a, a downward spiral. What could have happened if, if God showed up for David and he won that battle without a sword, won without traditional, traditional weapons? I mean, what if Saul had said, all right, I'm going to trust God, even though this dude is so much bigger than me? God's on my side. Someone or something is always ready to step up and mold and lead the things that God has given us responsibility for. In this case, it was a good thing. Like David stepped up and, and, and showed all of Israel that God fights our, we don't even really fight our own battles. But also bad things can happen uh, when we procrastinate. Um, resentment sets in and starts guiding when, when we need to apologize for something, when, when we don't know what to do because maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you have a kid or a grandkid that's going down the wrong path and you're thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I feel so out of touch with culture. I don't want to be that parent. I don't want to be that uncle or aunt. And I don't want to, I'm just going to let it slide. I'm going to give it another week. And when we don't lovingly Say, all right, I may, I may break a few eggshells, but I, I need to say something because I care about them. In that moment of procrastination, something is setting in. People are going down the wrong paths or our habits are getting even more entrenched even in our physiology. And it's caused by so many different things. Maybe we're insecure. Uh, procrastination is often caused by anxiety. That's how I experience it most. Oh, well, what's going to happen? And it like the analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis kind of thing. Maybe we just doubt ourselves. Maybe we procrastinate because there's, there's a wound in our past, that there's, there's some kind of block there. Uh, maybe we procrastinate because there's a resentment or frustration or maybe uh, just boredom. Like there's a lot of different reasons and usually, if you're procrastinating, there's probably something going on under the surface. And it's a good idea to maybe 
just pull on that thread for a little bit and ask, ask yourself why like four or five times. I'm procrastinating. Why? Well, because I'm afraid to have that conversation. Why are you afraid to have that conversation? Well, because I'm afraid I'll mess up. Why am I afraid I'll mess it up? Well, because I have this insecurity of, you know, just keep going. That's when I say pull on that thread, that's the kind of work I'm talking about. What if King Saul had done that? Why am I scared to go face this giant? Well, he's a lot bigger than me. Why, why does that matter? Well, because I'm putting all of, eventually you'd get to, I'm putting all my, all my trust in my own abilities. Oh, there it is. I'm not trusting God with this battle. So for those of us uh, who find ourselves procrastinating from time to time, I found this advice from researchers uh, that, um, now we'll put the links in here. Uh, I thought this was really, really helpful. Um, so what do we do if we find ourselves procrastinating about especially something in our, in our spiritual life, in our personal life, and it's, and it's starting to bug us? Here's three simple steps. Not a silver bullet, but just maybe this will help us get our hands around this and, and we can see some movement in an area that, that we're procrastinating in. And the first one is to eat an elephant, right? Quite literally, because you can only do it one bite at a time. Like get a piece of paper, write out whatever it is, whatever your Goliath is in your personal life and you don't know what to do about it. Well, maybe, maybe the first, what are like five steps? Well, first step is I need to talk to someone about it and get advice. Second step is talk to the person and see if we can resolve the situation. Maybe you need to resource yourself. But list out, like try to break this big scary thing up into smaller parts. And I like the second one. It's called pick up the goblins. Pick up the goblins. Find the easiest thing and attack that one first. Find the thing, if maybe it's an area of your life and there's, as, as you've made this project, maybe there's something that seems kind of fun. Do that one first so you can get some, some inertia. And then I love the third one, ignore the siren songs. Like back in, the, in, in literature, there's this guy uh, who had himself, um, I think it was Homer, tied to the mast of a ship so the sirens wouldn't make him jump into the water. Like maybe, Maybe when you're, you're sitting down to like, um, to actually work on this thing that you're procrastinating with and do some work with it, there's something, oh yeah, I'll just check Facebook first. Or, oh, um, uh, maybe the siren song is insecurity. And you start thinking about that. Like, and sometimes this takes some help from other people. It's like, hey, I need you to change the password on my Instagram for just a week until I start doing something about this. Uh, that's one silly example. Or one way I try to ignore the siren songs, especially with like a difficult conversation, is to take a deep breath and count to three and call that person up. Like you get that text or you see that, that, um, that comment on social media that just pokes you and you're, you're in fight or flight and like, oh, well, this is what I would do. And why, I know I should probably talk to them and, and not just fire back. Well, one of the ways I ignore the siren songs is I just cut through them and just, okay, one, two, three. So I don't allow those voices to, to mess with my head any longer 
than I need than, than needs to happen. So I think that's pretty good advice and it's some pretty good starting points, which I want you this week, I wanna challenge us all. And I'm gonna do, do this with me. I want you to prayerfully pick out something significant that you've been putting off and work those steps. Eat the elephant, write it out into smaller, uh, smaller chunks. Uh, pick out a few small ones that, that you can start work on and then figure out where the distraction's gonna come from. And then I want you to put them into practice and tell someone about it. Like, and if you don't have someone in your life that you trust, that knows God, tell us, send us a private message so we can do it with you. We can be with you in that process as you go. And um, this isn't just about time management or becoming more productive as a human being. I know procrastination talks about this. I want us to be good stewards with this people and this life that God has given us. And I don't want, and I don't think God wants you to waste this precious time that God's given us worrying about oh, what's gonna happen if, if I try to see some growth or some breakthrough in this area. God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. This is about uh, experiencing more life. Because in, in my experience, when I finally take some steps towards addressing a Goliath in my life, like I realize, oh my goodness, I wasted so much time worrying. And once, once I'm in it and God's in it with me, I'm like, oh, that wasn't such a big giant. Like, oh, I just worked this problem up in my head and made it even bigger than it was. So this week, pick out one of those Goliaths and work those three steps and share it with someone. And I know this is hard. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but let's do it together. And I want to leave you with these words from Jesus. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So what is, why am I ending with that? Because when we take the step out of procrastination, it feels like a little bit of death. It feels like a piece of us dies. And in my experience, most often that part of me that dies needed to be killed off anyway. Fear, anxiety, self-doubt, uh, not trusting God. Like that's a good thing to die. And, and when, we're, when a seed goes into the ground, we're going into the good soil when we're putting ourselves in God's hands. I hope this goes well, God. I'm trusting you. And God uses those experiences for our, he uses them to help our roots grow deep down into God so that we can produce fruit. So let's get uncomfortable together and let's take that step and stop putting off facing the Goliaths in our life. So let me pray for you for some courage right now, uh, okay? It's gonna be okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to all of us right now and give us the courage to take that first step, whatever it, whatever it is. And, uh, and also, God, would you please use this process to draw us closer together um, as only you can and fill us with courage and, and be that voice in our heads that reminds us that you have our backs, that you'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us.
And God, I pray for divine wisdom for each step of the way. But God, we repent of, of just wasting time and we ask that by your power and by your strength, we will take those first steps towards ultimately following you in a deeper way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.